Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. I want to share with you from the Word as these uh, gentlemen are putting their laundry folding skills to use here. <laughs> and today's passage has a, what I'd like to share with you, today's message has a number of scriptures that will be projected behind me. Uh, we are going to traipse through a good section of the Bible. How many of you like all the Bible? Let me try that again, because then see, how many of you like all the Bible? <laughs> I like all of it, Genesis to Revelation. And I want to begin with a passage of Scripture that was part of this week's reading that's done within the Jewish community, almost uniformly, not exactly, but uniformly, whether you are in South Africa at the synagogue in South Africa, or, in, or if you're in Auckland, New Zealand at the synagogue, or Buenos Aires, here in this, uh, this hemisphere, if you're in this uh, area of the world, the, uh, the readings are similar. And this passage to begin with is from the book of, Shof, the book of Devarim. It's from Parashat Shoftim, Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1. And we're going to continually reference back to that passage. Because just that passage alone, just this verse alone, has much in it. And I found that true about the Word of God. Even the, the shortest verses have a lot to them if you really allow yourself to, to uh, get into the, 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 what the Word says. This passage begins in the Hebrew language. It says, Ki al which means when you go out to battle against your enemies. Now, that's a, quite a starting passage, isn't it? It continues, when you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now here in Devarim in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1, Moshe, when you think about Moses, his Hebrew name was Moshe. Moshe was speaking of a pending situation that really was not that far away from the children of Israel chronologically. That pending situation was that they were going to be crossing the Jordan River and entering into what we call the promised land. Now, it's one thing to be wandering in the desert it's another thing to cross the Jordan River and enter into the promised land where there were already people living. And God has said and clearly said over and over again, I, I don't know how many times he, he repeats and tells them, says, I have given this land to you, the land that I promised to your forefathers, to Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. I've given this land to you. That's the land on the west side of the Jordan River. We know it today as Israel. 
And when we read this verse, Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1, this theme is found quite often in this section of the Bible, in this section of the Torah, in, this, in the book of Deuteronomy, this idea about struggle and battle and enemies. Not the most pleasant idea, for sure. But as we read this verse, we realize that Israel is being told beforehand, and it's repeated to them over and over again through Moses, the Lord speaking through Moses, that they're going to enter into a place of struggle and battle on the other side of the Jordan River. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1 that we already read, we can, we can say that God is telling them of a pending situation, something they're going to face. Now, Israel's situation at that time, if we were to synthesize it down to just two words, uh, there are two words that we can emphasize today derived from Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1. The two words would be oyevim, which means enemies, and milchama, which means war or battle. There's two words that repeat themselves in this section of Deuteronomy. Enemies battle, war, warfare. Now, the, the contrast facing Israel then was pretty obvious. On one hand, God says, I'm bringing you to a land that's flowing with milk and honey, a promised land, a land that I promised to your forefathers. On the other hand, he uses the terms enemies and battles await you. That contrast, that wonderful land, that contrast and the major enemies and the, the struggle, the battle that lies ahead of you is something that's very tangible. You can almost feel it as you read the text, that they realize that, yes, they've been promised something quite wonderful, but in the process of attaining that quite wonderful promise, which that promise in this case, reading from Devarim, Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, is entering into the promised land, they're going to have to face struggle and battles and difficult circumstances. Oyevim, enemies. Now, I would suggest to you that Messianic believers today face a parallel situation. Think about it if you would. If you're a believer in Yeshua and Jesus the Messiah, you know that Yeshua promised many great and wonderful promises, and they will all be true. Some of them have already been worked out. Others are yet to come. But one thing he did say, it's recorded in, in the Gospel of Yohanan, the Gospel of John. He said that he goes to prepare a place for us. It repeats and goes forward. He mentions that. It mentions that so that where I am, there you may be also. I kind of like that promise, don't you? I think that's an incredible promise. It's encouraging. It's comforting. It exhorts us. It gives us kind of this future hope, even though at times we go through some very present-day struggles and battles and maybe even face some present-day enemies or yavim in our lives. But he says, he goes to prepare a place for us. And meanwhile, even as we may know that scripture can even repeat it, we may have it memorized. The day-to-day -day life that we face involves struggles. Maybe even this week, this past week, you face some difficult struggles. There are other ways to describe struggles, such as challenges. <laughs> there are even more rooted ways, such as conflict. <laughs> You know, and, you know, then there's that three-letter word, the word war. Now, I hope you didn't face that this week. 
But in a sense, we do because we're in a spiritual warfare with our enemy, and we'll talk about that a little, a little further here. As we draw nearer chronologically, historically, uh, histo- in, our, in our present day, nearer to the return of our Messiah, we should not be surprised that the enemy of our souls is bent on our destruction And he is bent, he he desires to obstruct the will of God. He works overtime to this, and this message today is not about him, it's about Yeshua. But we don't want to be ignorant of the devices of the evil one. We encounter him from the very beginning of Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation. He's all in there in attacks. He's always fomenting trouble, causing struggles, creating uh, situations that are, are, are difficult for the people of God. We're in a spiritual battle, as I mentioned. We, we face a, what might be called a, a pitched or a persistent battle that's going on. I don't know how you view what's happening in our society right now, but you would probably agree there's some tension in our society. There's tension in basically all the societies, all the national levels of government in the face of the earth, on the face of the earth. There are tensions that maybe the circumstances are different, maybe the reasons for the tension are different, but it's there. There's a struggle, there are challenges, there's warfare going on, there's pitch persistent battle within communities, within nations. But we shouldn't be surprised because we were tipped off as well in the book of Revelation, beginning with chapter 12, verse 11, where it says, and please notice this, it says, they overcame the enemy, they overcame him, by what? The blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even in the face of death, this translation says. The next verse, verse 12. How many know sometimes in Scripture there is a next verse? <laughs> Now, I know we like to pull out those nice plums of verses there, and we should to encourage ourselves, but it does help to look at context and to continue on with the context. Revelation 12, beginning with verse 12 now, the second verse here, verse 11 we've already read now. Verse 12 says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, woe to the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you with great rage. And then it says this, knowing that his time is short. So even as the children of Israel were given a glimpse of what lied ahead for them as they were there finishing those 40-year period in the, in the uh, Midbar, in the desert, in the wilderness, and they realized they were going to enter into the promised land, there would be struggle. Well, it seems like the enemy, according to Revelation 12 and other texts, also has a glimpse of what's coming towards him. If you want to know the rest of the story, it's not our topic today, read Revelation. You find out what happens there. It behooves us to be on the Lord's side, if I can use those terms now in this generation, that our lives be committed to our Messiah. It behooves us that it's not just something that we have in theory, but it's something we have in practice in our lives. That in our daily lives, as we face all the struggles we do, and they can have different names depending on your situation, but as we face those things, we want to make sure that we are resolute in our relationship with Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. Now, each passing day, 
each passing day that we experience. Each passing day as we maintain our trust and our focus on our Messiah, each passing day brings us closer to the time of His glorious and triumphant return. Each passing day, I don't know if you think of it like that, but each day that goes by, we're that much closer to the Lord's return and to an even further fulfilling of His promises extended to us. And we're closer and closer to His eternal victory that will be revealed at the end of all things here when He comes in great glory in the clouds, when His feet set upon the Mount of Olives. And it doesn't say anything other than the Mount of Olives will do what? Split. (laughs) And I don't mean the vernacular split like disappear. (laughs) The Mount of Olives will split in two as His feet split. Is that figurative language? Some say yes, but I don't know about you. I get this sneaky suspicion that that's literal language. When it talks about the glory of the Lord and His return to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem, and His feet come upon the Mount of Olives, it's going to be quite a scene. Now, these things are mysterious. We only know what the text tells us. We haven't come to this place yet. But with each passing day of our lives, we get closer and closer to the revelation of Yeshua's mighty return. He said that He would come back again. How many of you believe He is coming back again? Yeah, he is. Now, we pretty quickly in this type of a circumstance raise our hands, say, yes, I believe he's coming back again. But once we start flitting about out in the world and we talk about Yeshua returning, there are people that get cross-eyed with us. Like, they may say it, they may not. Something like, you don't really believe that, do you? you? Do you believe those fairy tales? That kind of an idea. But I don't know about you, but I think we need to believe what the Word of God says. I know we need to believe what the Word of God says. Now, he's going to return, and as he returns, he's going to share victory, eternal victory. He's already doing with us now. How many of you can honestly say in your life, you are not in the same place you were because of your walk with the Lord? You've come to a different place. My hand is up on that. Because of your faith in the Messiah and the changes he's bringing in your life, you're not the same person you were. You're being transformed. You're being conformed to the image of God's holy son, Yeshua the Messiah. And it doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but we know this, First Yohanan tells us, First John tells us, that when he appears, we're going to be like him. I don't understand all that, but what a glorious promise that is for us. Yet, here we are, to bring it down to more direct terms, we, are, we find ourselves in a spiritual battle, a spiritual battle going on sometimes in our very, very uh, circumstances that we face. And we don't want our struggle, we don't want it to be a battle among ourselves. That's what we don't want. It was Yeshua who said, and Abraham Lincoln so deftly, deftly quoted a statement of Yeshua. And Yeshua said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Now, this holds true whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in a family 
whether it's in a friendship, whether it's in a community, whether it's in a congregation. It's also true within a nation, a nation divided against itself. How's it going to stand? And I'm so thankful that the Lord, his purpose for us, his goal is that we would be united with Yeshua as the head, united in Messiah Yeshua. Galatians chapter 5 verse 15 also warns us, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. And Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 exhorts us and says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day, the day of Messiah's return, perhaps, approaching. Yet yeah, in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1, back to that verse, our, uh, our target verse, Part of Parashat Shoftim, this week's Torah portion in the Jewish community, it goes on and it speaks of more than enemies in battle. It continues, when you go out to battle against your enemies, and then it says this, and you see, see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you. God seemed to be telling his covenant people with this, a, that they were going to face battle. B, that they were going to see some things with their own eyes that would steer them, potentially. He was telling his covenant people that as they pressed onward towards the promised land, the place that he promised them, the place that he would bring them, that as they pressed on to the land of inheritance that he swore to give them, he promised to our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he had prepared that land for them, that they would see things that may quake their faith, that may shake their confidence and contribute to them becoming discouraged. Things they would see with their own eyes. And you see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you. It seems what your eyes are telling you that everything is stacked up against you. things that would waylay them from pressing on and persevering and entering into all that he promised to them. It'd be pretty easy to see a multitude of horses and chariots and a big group of people coming against you and to hightail it the other direction and run away from the very place that God said he was bringing them. But they were not to go by what they saw with their eyes. <laughs> Well, we might say they're carnal eyes. Do you know we have carnal eyes, but we also have spiritual eyes? The eyes of our heart, it's called in the book of Ephesians. For if they did, they would wrongly conclude their chances of victory. If they went by what they saw with horses and chariots and people more numerous than them, they would think that victory was not a possibility. They would think that the, the odds were against them. Why should they persevere? Because they're not going to succeed. Why not just give up now? Yet they were to see life and even their struggles, even as we're to see them according to the teachings of the new covenant, to see the life and struggle that we have through eyes of faith, 
through eyes of trust and belief, a faith that's anchored fully in God himself. That's how they were to see the circumstances around them. They had his promises, and they were to live in accordance to his word, not what they saw with their eyes, according to what does his word say, knowing that he is faithful to his word. The odds may seem stacked against us right now with society. It may seem stacked against us in the very day we're living in. And it's quite easy to become discouraged. It's quite easy to let our eyes look at things that would, would be tantamount to looking at horses and chariots greater than us and people more than us. But that's not where the eyes are supposed to focus. We're supposed to behold Yeshua and keep the, our eyes fixed upon him, the author and the perfecter, the author and the finisher of our faith. And I know spiritually, and you probably know this as well, or maybe even experienced, because I have, that when I get my eyes off the Lord, I start to sink somewhat. Has that ever happened to you? You don't need to raise your hands. <laughs> but when I get my eyes off the Lord, it's not good. I mean, it can be a, a, a slow or even a quick departure, a, a, a waylaying that goes on. And this particular passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, states it in much better terms than I ever could. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we walk by faith and not by sight. Let's say that together. We walk by faith and not by sight. Let's say that, please, one more time. We walk by faith and not by sight. And we should be encouraged by the declaration that we also have in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, that says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, the Torah portion, back to Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1, continues, and it says, Do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Do not be afraid of them. You may look and see that their horses are many, their people are many, their, their battle armament may be great, but do not be afraid of them. Why? For the Lord your God is with you. It's so curious that one of the names that describes Yeshua one of the prophetic names for Yeshua is the name Emmanuel. With us is God. God with us. Have you ever noticed his nearness to you at times of challenge? I hope you have. And I hope you've called out upon him in times of challenge and struggle and battle because he's with us. Do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you. And then it describes him and says, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. By the way, that is no simple deal, bringing up a huge amount of people who have been subjugated for centuries and delivering them out and taking them out into the desert and providing for them. <laughs> That's no simple matter. And it's fascinating how often in the Bible God reminds his people not to be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Don't be afraid. At least 103 times we're told, fear not. It's as if like every three days or so we need to remind ourselves, do not be afraid. 
fear not. And there are many reasons why fear in particular, fear can be a stronghold upon our lives when we become afraid. It can become a considerable factor in the outcome of our spiritual lives when fear grabs hold of us. And fear could have many different book covers. The book of fear can have many different covers on the outside. There are many different types of fear. If you look up the term phobia and just see how many different types of phobias there are, from, I don't even want to say it because I know some of you get the heebie-jeebies if I say it, but I'm going to anyway, arachnophobia. <laughs> how many know what that is, arachnophobia? You're afraid of arachnids. <laughs> All kinds of things. <laughs> But there, there are so many different types of fear. But God says, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you. And describes for, he's the, for who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And there are many reasons why fear in particular becomes a considerable factor in our spiritual lives. For some, it holds them back from entering into the call of God for their life. They're afraid. For some, it holds them back because they, they, they sense God's calling and they just don't want to go all, the, all that direction. Maybe a little bit. Just enough to feel good in their own conscience. But is that really fulfilling the call of God? A little bit. Maybe there. Are you living in fear today, by the way? Think about it for a moment. What are you afraid of? We are told to fear God, to reverence Him there. If you are afraid of something, take heart today because God desires you to walk in faith and not in fear. In this generation, we need people of faith who are strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We need to let fear be replaced by His love that doesn't fail. First John chapter 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So when God is actively involved in our lives, touching us within, deep inside of us, extending his grace towards us on a daily basis, fear decreases in our life. It doesn't increase. It decreases in his love fills in the gap. How many of you are glad for the love of God today? I am. I'm so glad for his love. I don't get tired of that idea, the love of God. Now, it was the prophet Zephaniah, and yes, Zephaniah is in the Bible. How many knew Zephaniah is in the Bible? He's in the Bible. And he declared the following words to Israel when Israel was going through a very difficult time historically. And he declared these words. They were facing a difficult time, and they were susceptible to fear and concern. They were susceptible to falling by the wayside of following God. And in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 15, the prophet was commissioned by the Lord to say these words to the children of Israel. Verse 15 says, The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Let not your hands be weak. 
The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. It's such a blessing when we sing here today. You guys were really belling it out, by the way. It was good to hear. But most comforting to me are the words of Yeshua that he spoke to the apostles. Even as his sufferings drew near, he had this to say to them. As he neared the cross and he was about to go through the sufferings that were for you and for me, not for him. He was without sin, but it was for our sins that he died. That he gave up his life and for our justification that he was resurrected from the dead. Even as he faced that, he had the strength within himself to say the following words as his sufferings drew near. They're found in John chapter 14, verse 27. It says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And the very next thing after he talks about peace is he says this, let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. God wants us to, as we are in this generation with troubles all around us, to walk in the peace of God, to let his peace guide us and direct us. Let it be, as it were, an arbiter in our own heart, as Colossians expresses it. And Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1, continues like this, and we'll conclude. It says, for the Lord your God is with you, and then it says this, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. As I've already mentioned, that was no simple task. The numbers of people that were redeemed out of Egypt were great. The battle against Pharaoh, who was considered the, one of the foremost of all leaders uh, militarily at that time on the face of the earth, was great. And we should note that this statement carefully, and we should note it carefully, and, and the statement, the ramifications of this statement it says, for the Lord your God is with you who brought you up from the land of Egypt. This is no light statement. It references God and his character. For example, he is the deliverer. He is the redeemer. He rendered powerless the so-called gods of Egypt. This is what God did for the children of Israel. He vanquished Pharaoh and his armies. He gave Israel triumph over its foes. He raised up Moses, Joshua, and Aaron in the midst of Israel to lead them. He raised up leadership. He caused leadership to arise within the community. He's the one that went before the children of Israel. He's the one who, who was their rear guard, it says in the Torah. He provided them manna. Just think about it. How well would you do if you had to provide breakfast for an estimated 2 million people? <laughs> Every day. And a double portion on Shabbat. How would you do with that <laughs> at your restaurant? <laughs> but he did that. He provided manna, man for them every single day faithfully until they entered into the land of promise. Blessed be his name. He disciplined them and he taught them. He also gave them his word in a great and powerful way he gave them his uh, acerta de brot, the ten words, the ten commandments. 
and he remains the Savior. He is the Savior. He's the El Shaddai, the Almighty One of Israel. He's the sovereign potentate. He's the, the ruler of all nations. He is Adonai Tzavaot. He's the Lord of hosts. He is the one who loves Israel, and he is the one, my friends, who loves you today. This Almighty God, in order to come to a place of increasing victory in our lives, we must see Yeshua for who he really is. Let me say that again. In order to come to a place of increasing victory in our lives, we must see Yeshua for who he really is. He is all that we just talked about and more. He's the Redeemer. He's your Savior. He's your provider. He's all this and more. We must see him for he is because we are assured of the working of his amazing power in our lives by his Holy Spirit as we allow him to be the Lord over every area of our lives. All our fears, our insecurities, our doubts, our false hopes, our vain imaginations, our selfishness and self-will and all such things like that, they must go so that we can put on Messiah Yeshua who is our Savior and our Redeemer. And I want to leave you with one passage of Scripture before we have the Lord's Supper together as we prepare our hearts. This is one passage that to me expresses the great depth of God's love for us today. God's love for you today. His love that conquers all. And this passage was something that Rapshaw Paul the Apostle wrote to a Greek. His name was Titus. He wrote, he wrote this gem, this, I, I don't know if you recently read the book of Titus, but he wrote some gems to Titus. He said this in chapter 3, beginning with verse 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. In verse 4, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to what? According to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Messiah Yeshua our Savior, that having been justified by what? By his grace. We should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Your relationship today with Yeshua, Jesus, is of utmost importance to your future and dare I say it, to your future and to your eternity. Your relationship with Yeshua is of utmost importance because there's no other name given among men under heaven by which we can be saved. And it's through him that we have forgiveness of sin. It's through faith in him that we know redemption. We have the process, the work of the Holy Spirit. He's Adonai who is, who is uh, our sanctifier, all that comes through Yeshua, through faith in Yeshua. He laid down his life for you willingly. He took up that cross, that execution stake, that tree willingly for you. 
Will we take up our cross daily and follow him willingly? Will we do it? We exhibit our answer to that question every day of our lives through our words and through our deeds. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pina Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.